good morning, church family. Happy Independence Day weekend. Hope you've been able to enjoy yourself a little bit and have some time off. Will you stand to your feet? Find somebody real quick that you don't know and just shake their hands. Tell them, glad to see you in the house of the Lord. And we will get started worship. Just a second.
Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Dennis Dove, and I want to welcome you to Shelby Christian and for all those watching online as well. And a reminder, after I pray, we have the communion and offering stations around, and it's double cup, so the bread and the juice are all in one. But last week, um, my wife and I celebrated our 29, uh, 29th anniversary, so which is great, as my wife would... Uh, as my wife says, the 18 or 19 best years of her life. So I don't know what that means, except she had a really good childhood, I guess. Um, but we got married here in the old sanctuary. Dave did the, did the wedding. Evan was our flower girl. It was really cute. She was really cute. But the, the moment I remember is when my wife walked out back to, to come down the aisle. And just the beauty that she had, right? And my love for her, like right there and then. You know, and, and as much as I loved her in that moment and for the 29 years beyond, like, I know that God loves her more. And then five years ago on our anniversary, um, I went into the hospital, just feeling dizzy. Long story short, three days later, on a ventilator, can't breathe, can't move, can't do anything, don't know what's going to happen. And my wife sat with me for however many of the months are that I was in the ICU, and in rehab and everything. And there's a thing called a, a yonker, which is a weird name, but it pretty much just sucks stuff out of your mouth. And I think that was my wife's favorite thing to do because I couldn't swallow or breathe or anything, so I choked if she didn't do that. But she could say, hey, this sucks. And her moral compass was still okay, right? Because she was holding that and doing that. And as much as I know my, life, my wife loved me by her doing that for me, I know God loves me even more and was there. So when your life is beautiful or when your life sucks, know that God is there and know that God loves you. So as we come to this time and we think about what, what God did for us and his love, know that he loves you so much. Then the good times and the bad, he sent Jesus down to die for you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. No matter what is going on in our lives, that you are here, you are with us, and that you love us. And that you love us so much that you sent us Jesus. And just help us to honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
nothing good in me you are you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light when the darkness closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sin fear is crippling you are true you are true even in my wondering you are joy you are joy you're the reason that i see you are life you are life in you death has lost its sting
right now.
just pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to just come together and just worship you, Lord. And just proclaiming that you're the only one who can do all that we've sung about. You redeem, you restore, you refresh our souls, Father. We thank you today that you're still doing, your power is still moving, your spirit is still moving throughout the land. So we just give you praise for that, Lord, and we thank you for the word that's going to be spoken. Lord, may find a home in our hearts, God, may penetrate. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. If you would, uh, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. There were uh, four churches in the rural part of Tennessee, and these churches were literally being overcome by these pesky squirrels. Well, each one of the churches had a different way of getting rid of them. The first church, well, they prayed and they looked over scripture and they believed that those squirrels were predestined to be in that church. So they just left them alone. Well, the second church, the squirrels were taking habitation in the baptistry. So they thought if we just cover the baptistry and seal it, all the squirrels will drown. Well, that didn't work much either. And the squirrels escaped, and twice as many were there the next week. Now, the third church decided they weren't in a position to harm any of God's creatures. So they humanely trapped these squirrels, drove them several miles out in the country, and let them go. But by the following week, they were back. But the fourth church, they came up with the most ingenious plan. This church decided to baptize the squirrels and to let them become part of the church. Now they only come on Easter and Christmas. (laughs) If we believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and proclaim victory over death, hell, and the grave, why do so many Christians not look any different than the rest of the world? Why do so many Christians believe they don't need to be on ch- in church on Sunday or be part of a Bible study? You see, many people have heard of the Great Commission and Bible study or some kind of sermon, just as Jesus himself is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. Jesus instituted the standard for how we are to follow him. That standard is discipleship. And we read about it this morning in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. After Jesus rose from the dead, he is speaking to his disciples and he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In this passage, we find that Jesus is the commander-in-chief over heaven and earth. He gives orders to his followers and to make disciples and baptize them. 
in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that means we have to obey. Now, obey almost is a curse word in our society, isn't it? I mean, we don't like to obey anything. And as Americans, I think that's even worse. On this Independence Day, you know, we did not want to follow England's rule. So obedience is a bad word. In 1973, there were kidnappers who took Jewish hostages in an airport in Uganda. Now, they were threatening to kill them unless their demands were made. And Israeli commandos were sent in to that airport. And the commanders yelled, stoop down, crawl. And because the Jews understood the Hebrew, they got down and they crawled. And the commandos just shot all the men still standing. The problem is there were three hostages that got shot too. Two, because they decided to stay standing and didn't listen and weren't obedient. The third guy was actually laying down and he jumped up. He didn't listen as well. Obedience must happen in all of our being. We must listen to what Jesus commands and be obedient. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is an integral part of the growth of a Christian today. It is the process of being led by example to follow Christ through obedience to God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is absolutely necessary. Since Jesus himself commanded his followers to make disciples. Just as a son grows up to reflect the values of his parents, a disciple should reflect Jesus Christ. As Apostle Paul said with confidence in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Matthew 4, it tells us, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing nets into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them and said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They left their nets. Their nets were their livelihood. Their nets was their security. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. Jesus didn't tell his friends, go out and make Christians. He said, go out and make disciples. In fact, in the Bible, you will find the word disciple 269 times. As Dallas Willard once wrote, the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples. Now that good news we have is eternal life. We need to learn to be a disciple, a student, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. I mean, simply put, discipleship means that we need to live and learn by example that Jesus offers. Christianity was never formed to make Christians. It was formed to make disciples. 
Now, discipleship isn't about half-parted measure. We are called to give all of ourselves to Jesus. I mean, Jesus did that. He was in heaven. He was with God. He was ruling in heaven. He gave up part of himself to become a man and to walk among us, to be tempted everywhere we are tempted and to understand what it is like to walk around on this earth. Jesus said, Christ said, follow me, follow me. Now that's not just head knowledge, that's heart knowledge. We give all of ourselves to God. Now you might ask the question, can I disciple myself? If someone were to suggest that you give a three-year-old a chemistry book and say, learn, would that work? No, because the three-year-old doesn't know how to do what? Read. Okay, you can't expect a three-year-old to learn chemistry until he's learned the basics, until he's able to follow and learn how to read and learn mathematics and learn all these things so that when he's older, he can learn chemistry. None of you that are parents just told your kid, go to the potty. We had to potty train them, right? You can't expect a child to do that all by themselves. I don't know how many times I have heard people say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You cannot be discipled on your own. You need other believers. This elderly lady once had a next door neighbor, a young boy, Every time she came home with her groceries, a young boy came out and he took the groceries into the house. He mowed her lawn for her. He helped take up a lot of the yard work and helped really help this woman out. And this woman finally said to him to say, young man, how did you turn out to be so good? He said, well, ma'am, when I was younger, I had a drug problem. You see, my mom and my dad drugged me to church on Sunday morning drug me a youth group, drug me to church on some Wednesday nights. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Scripture tells us we can't do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, power can be expressed in two ways. If I take a 10-gallon gas of gasoline, which is going to cost me about 50 bucks right now, but that's not the point. If I drop a match into that can, what's going to happen? It's going to explode, right? It might be really pretty to look at, but it doesn't last very long, does it? But if I put that same 10 gallons into a modern car, I can take a carload of people hundreds of miles. You see, the Spirit of God 
is like that. When we harness the Spirit of God, we have staying power to help us when we have to grieve, to help us when we're struggling, to help us when we're sick. The Holy Spirit is there to help guide us through life. But we can only do that if we are being discipled. The great commission of Christ commands the disciples of Jesus to go and make other disciples. Teaching them to obey all Jesus' commands. Jesus developed relationships. He invested time in 12 men. 12 men he put all of his time into. He got to know them. He got to know their families. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths. Why? Because he was discipling those 12 men to go into the world and make more disciples. So how do you become a disciple? Well, being a disciple means that you are a lifelong learner, a student of Jesus. Followers of Christ will always be disciples. And proper discipleship means something internally in the heart. The external change that a person has when they are discipled, it can make an angry person joyful, make a soul, make a hurting person healed. The power of the Holy Spirit is such awesome thing. And we share that with other people. We disciple other people. Luke 14 says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Even and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin to count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might completely only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Based on these verses... Jesus is saying we must give all of ourselves away. Now, the problem is most of us have little compartments inside of us. We'll allow Jesus in this part, but we don't allow Jesus in all the parts of our heart. You should count the cost before you become a disciple. Someone gave me a book years ago about Ernest Ernest Shackelford. He was the first man to lead an expedition successfully to the South Pole. Now, it took him a long time to do that. But when he was trying to find people to go with him, he put an ad in the London paper. And that ad said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, Constant danger, safe return, doubtful, but honor and recognition in case of success. 
Now, you would think with an ad like that, nobody would respond. But a whole lot of men responded to his ad. Why? Because the mission was clear. The cost and the potential loss both drew the right men and made sure the wrong men didn't apply. God's mission is not for the faint of heart. Even becoming a Christian, according to Jesus, should be weighed heavily. So I want you to remember that total sacrifice is the bottom line of being a Christian. We can sustain our confidence in Jesus because he never asks us of anything that he hasn't already done. He emptied himself of divine glory to set an example of letting go. If we are unable to let go, we find ourselves stymied by the weights and the troubles and the burdens of this world. There once was a missionary, Sanyar Singh, in in India. Him and a fellow companion were trying to go a path through the Himalayan mountains in order to get to the other side to preach the gospel. Well, along the way, they found a man on the path who was laying there in the snow, hardly moving. They knelt down and found out the man was still alive. And Singh says, we need to take this man with us. But his companion said, no, he'll just lay us down. We won't make it. Singh says, I've got to try. Well, his companion went on ahead. He picked up the man from the snow, he put him on his back, and he carried this man halfway through the path. And over time, the heat from his body warmed this man up to the point to where he became responsive and was able to walk and to finish the path. But along the way, they found their companion dead in the snow. You see, Matthew tells us, He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Based on Singh's story, we must be readily to accept the invitation to think beyond the moment. We must put skin in the game with no thought of gaining for ourselves anything of this life. There is no time limit on discipleship. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're in your hundreds, you are still a disciple of Christ. Just like raising a child, we need to follow and be helpful to our children. Now, I don't know about you, but I have three grown children. I got grandchildren. I know it's hard to believe in my good looks, but... I have found that as my children get older, they actually need more direction than they did when they were younger. Now, unfortunately, I can't just pick up the phone and tell them where they're doing wrong in their lives. But I can tell you that as a father, I still love my children. My oldest child, Ashley, is adopted, and I absolutely love her. But one of the things that came about was when we adopted her, the judge looked at us and said... You can disown your other two children, but you can't disown her. Because you make a commitment now to keep this child. 
and we love her as much as we do our other ones. Therefore, a discipleship is a lifelong process that evolves and never ends. Now, what's the best way to be discipled? Well, one is to be in God's word every day and pray. Now, I like using a 15-minute plan. Now, take 15 minutes every day to pray. I like to do my prayer as I'm driving. Sometimes when people pull out in front of me, I really need to pray, but that's side of the point. I pray for those 15 minutes that I drive into work. And then when I get here, I make sure I spend time in God's word. And it's always inevitable what I'm praying for, God answers in his word. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. Because that's the way the spirit of God works. There was once this little four-year-old girl who went to a birthday party and came home with a goldfish in a bag. Now, if you ever send your kids to the carnival with friends, they always come back with that little goldfish in a bag. Now, I don't know about you, how many parents get that goldfish and say, oh, great, that's just what we needed. Well, these parents took this goldfish and put it in a goldfish bowl, and they decided to name the goldfish Sebastian. Well, Sebastian became part of the family to the point that they would even put Sebastian in the middle of the table at dinner. That's what you call having fish for dinner. But that fish, over time, it swam and everybody liked watching it. But after a while, they just got bored with it. They got bored with this little fish in a fishbowl. Unfortunately for many of us, that's what we do to Christ. We put him in a fishbowl. We can watch him swim around and maybe do a few things, but we just like putting Jesus up on the shelf in his little bowl. Jesus is not like a goldfish. And the Spirit of God isn't just some quaint little voice. It is an all-encompassing powerhouse. A rebel rouser. Someone who likes to turn things upside down. In fact, the early church was, was, was criticized for turning the world upside down. Because to become a Christian means that we have a lifelong change. Second, you need to try and find a spiritual mother or father. There needs to be someone older in your life who can help you manage the things that go on in this world. Around the year 2000, a lot of rhinos started to die in Africa. And for a while, the rangers couldn't figure out why these rhinos we're dying. But you see, years earlier, the, the elephant population had gotten so big that they decided to kill off most of the adult male elephants. Well, these young elephants were growing up with all this testosterone, and they started forming little gangs, and they started killing the rhinos. But when the rangers reinstituted male role models... For these elephants, there wasn't another rhino killed. That just shows you the importance of having a spiritual mother and father. 
There are always new Christians in our church who need more experienced Christians to care for them, to help them navigate their lives through the pivotal parts of their years. I'm convinced it's not enough just to disciple the willing. We must train the willing to pursue the lost. Jesus did not delegate disciple-making. He didn't look at John and say, Hey, John, I want you to do all the disciple-making. I'm just going to do all the healings. All of us are called to be disciples and to be disciple-making. One of the greatest ways we do that here in our church is being part of a life group or part of an adult Bible fellowship. I want you to watch this video. Honestly, I thought they were stupid. They were a waste of time. I came to church on Sundays. I had my time with my Bible. Why did I need a bunch of strangers in my life? Same here. I, I thought they were a waste, waste of time. I felt like it was Sunday school, something you do as a kid. And then when you become adults, you don't really need that in your life because you I studied it as a kid through Sunday school and felt it would just be a waste of time. It's one of the best things that we've probably ever done. Not only as a couple, but as an individual, as a mom. Four years ago, like we went through a really rough time. And I don't think we would have got through it without life group. Like, that's legit. Um, life group isn't just studying. You don't know. <laughs> Emotional, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's not just, it's just not learning or Bible studying or Sunday schooling. It's handling life. And you're there with people to... That are relatable. Yeah, um, the prayer is what got us through that really rough time. Um, and it was just that support and that encouragement. And we were like that with every person in our group. I mean, we've all went through different times um, and we've handled life. You know, sometimes that we're studying God's word, well, most times we are. But then there's times when we're just doing life. It's very easy on Sundays when you come to church to see the church, see the people in the church and everybody's got their Sunday game day face on and life's perfect and, but everybody knows it's not. And as a, a band in a life group around other Christian couples and acknowledging that we all fall short, but we can work through it together with the same views is, is huge. It's it's an experience you never get in just church service on Sundays. I think I've become bolder. Definitely learned to that it's okay to not get it right and to step back and figure out how to manage through situations.
transformation into Christ-likeness happens when we process the truth of God's Word in a highly transparent environment. Life groups or adult Bible fellowships here in our church are one of the best ways you can be loved and you can be discipled. Out in the hallway, we have lists of life groups and all. We have life group leaders out there that would love to have you part of them. You can go and sign up and say, I don't know what life group I want to be, but I want to be in one and I can help you find one. I also need life group leaders, people that are willing to step up and say, I would love to lead a group of people. I can train you and show you what to do and how, what resources you can have. We have thousands of resources for you. So what does it look like when we have a culture of discipleship in our church? Well, I can put it to you easily. If you would just disciple one person this next year, one person, Disciple and tell them about Jesus, just one person. Then this time next year, we'd have 2,000 people in our church services. And if those 2,000 would do the same, we would have 4,000. Then we'd have 16,000. Can you imagine the impact this church can make in Shelbyville if each one of us would just disciple one person? That is what you are called to do. Now, unfortunately, a lot of churches are like harvesting clubs. They get together and and they like to talk about how to harvest and they they like to grease their tractors and, and get their combines all ready and sharpen their hoes and then they go home. They come back the next week and they do the same thing. They sharpen their tools and they grease their tractors and they get their combines ready, but they never go out and harvest. Back in the 1980s, when I was in high school, Mercedes-Benz came up with a great development. You see, they developed the crumple car concept. They reinforced where the driver and the passenger sat. So when you hit something, the front end of the car would smash, but the driver's compartment would be okay. And they developed this technology and they patented it, but then they allowed every other automaker to use that technology, and that's what they all use today. In the commercial, they show a car smashing, and they talk about the fact that they've given this to every other car maker. And the spokesman asked the guy from Mercedes-Benz, why? Why do you release this information? Why do you allow all these other companies to use your patent? And he said, because some things in life are too important not to share. If Jesus Christ has saved you, if you say you are a child of God, if God is really the most important thing, if we can sing that song, there is nothing, nothing better than you, then why don't we share? Why don't we share the gospel with people? If we saw someone in a car trapped and the car was on fire, I would think that most of us would do our best to get that person out. Well, there is a fire of hell that is eternal for those that don't believe. Why don't we care enough to go and try and save them? My challenge to you is to find one person in your life that you can disciple. 
one person that you can help grow, one person that you could bring into the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Just one person, just one. And oh, what an impact we would make on Shelbyville if we would just reach our ones. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. You are such a great and awesome God who loves us so much that you gave us your son. But his commandment to us was to make disciples. Father, just like Elizabeth in the video, I pray that we would have the boldness to share the gospel with just one person in this next year. Just one. One person to lead to the saving grace of Jesus. One person to be baptized. One person to shepherd. And Father, I would pray that every person in this room that's not part of a life group, Father, you would convict their heart for their need to be in a Bible study every week. To be with other believers. Father, your love is shown to us so much by giving us your son. I just pray we would have the boldness to share it. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. In the back of the church, back there in the decision room, there are people that are willing to talk to you. If you don't know about discipleship, if you just want to know who Jesus Christ is, they'll be there. If you're interested in starting a life group, come see me. Or if you just want prayer this morning, I'll be down front. Let's stand. Let's sit together. There's nothing better. I search the world. It couldn't feel me.
seat for just a second. We'll get you out of here. I I love being able to be up here and brag about, talk about our staff. We've got a great staff. Last week we had Jason up here and honored him for 25 years of service. I I, kind of bittersweet part of that sometimes is coming up and telling you about uh, staff that are making transitions. But in the midst of those transitions, uh, I find it exciting to see what the God's next chapter is. And so I found out a couple weeks ago uh, that uh, when I hired Bradley four years ago, uh, he said, there's one dream job. One dream job in coaching left. And just being honest, if that comes open, you know, might have to pursue it. Well, it came open. Uh, and Bradley has been offered the chance to go back be the head coach, oversee all the track, cross-country, men's, women's, everything in the, in the track and field arena at Cumberland University where he ran as a college student. Uh, and so he has accepted that dream job and uh, just came back from an awesome week of camp, uh, baptism down there. By the time it's all said and done, like six of our kids uh, making decisions, being baptized in the next, uh, some already, some next week. And so uh, just a great season. And so we wanted to wait till after camp uh, to make this announcement so that it didn't like rain on camp in any way. Uh, but we're excited because the reason we hired Bradley in the first place uh, was while he was already a member here and was the track and cross country coach at Spalding University in downtown Louisville, he kept showing up with college athletes uh, who were giving their life to Jesus and baptizing them here. And so that was what drew us to him. But we know at heart that Bradley's just got a coach's heart, but he's also got a love for the Lord. And we're excited to see what's going to happen uh, at Cumberland. Uh, and so he'll be around most of the month of July and then really transitioning. Now, the other good news for us is that at least for the time being, uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, they're going to still be living in Baghdad and make that work. And so Misty and Mackenzie and Elliot will be around all the time. Bradley will be in on the weekends, and so be here. Uh, and when he talked to me about it, he said, this is our church. Said, You're my pastor. This is where we're going to be. And so I just got to chase a dream. And so I'm trying to convince him that in that commuting back and forth, he ought to just run. I mean, that's practice what you preach, dude. Uh, get hit the road. But uh, so he'll be leaving like on Monday mornings and going down and coming back on the weekends and doing all that kind of stuff. So while it's bittersweet for us, we're excited because I know God God's going to do something huge to that. So we've already started, uh, uh, Jason and Dennis and I have known for a couple weeks. And so we've already been putting the feelers out. We've been talking to other big churches, uh, colleges, uh, seminaries, stuff like that, trying to find uh, just the right next person that God has in store for us uh, and as we move forward here and get ready for a great fall of ministry. So we just want to let you guys know that Bradley's sitting right over here. And if you want to talk to him after service, I encourage him. 
Uh, yeah, I just, it, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a cool transition, but we just got to find that we got to find our next guy and, and move forward with that. Uh, and so if you're new here today and it's your first time here, then that probably didn't mean a lot to you, but, uh, but we have a gift for you. And out in the lobby, Brett and our team out there, the big orange wall says, I'm new. Stop out there, pick up your gift. Uh, if you're one of the team, it's around here on a regular basis, spend some time. Say something to Bradley. He'll be around for a while. And then other than that, let's get out of here and go love God, love people. Let's go change the world. We'll see you guys next week.